It's gear of the year time. So Jordan Drake is back. We don't have a lot of rituals on this podcast, but this is one of them. Hey, Jordan. Hey, good to be back. I was worried this wasn't going to happen this year. I, I took your picture off the mantle. It's like Tyler <laughs> is done with me. Uh, so but yeah, then a, redemption in January. I'm put excited. the frame back together and put me back yeah. on the mantle. Okay, I appreciate that. Yeah, no, I'm think, I think we did it late. We've done it late before. That's happened for sure. But I just, I really took as like, there's no Christmas vacation that's been more of a vacation for me where I really did not do very much and was very unproductive, except for watching movies and playing games, which are some of the categories on this show. So honestly, I was just, I spent all of the Christmas holidays doing research, preparing for this. Perfect. So, that was so responsible of you. Yeah. But th this goes back now, actually, I should have checked how many years. It'd be fun to say the, the, the whatever annual, uh, maybe at some point when you're talking, I'll uh, go through my phone and try to dig up how yeah, long I mean, it's it was been. still way back in the cameras or whatever days for yeah, sure. Yeah, exactly. So. so it's been forever. And actually, I think this is the first time that there hasn't been a third guest. Usually we've got three of us. Um, but the point of this whole show, if anybody isn't aware, is to go through the, through the best gear of the, the past year. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to have come out in 2021. It just has to kind of be the best of that year. You know, sometimes like an older product has a moment when it appears like you could have say that zoom was like the best. I'm not saying it is, but it, zoom could have been the best app of 2020, even though it goes back a few years before that. So as an example, so kind of loose rules here, but we, we do need to come up with the definitive best ofs of several important tech categories. So I hope you're prepared. Let's talk about the best tech products of 2021. Also, I know that I'm going to call it 2020 a few times. I have not adjusted to what year no. we're in yet, so I'm going to get it wrong. I mean, mine is going to sound uh, very apple this year. They got all of my disposable income. Um, so I did wind up uh, grabbing the new iMac, which was the biggest thing by far for me. It was my first M1 computer. Uh, you've been aware of how wonderful it is for a little while now. But uh, leading up to it, I was just dying editing video from all of these new uh, cameras with the super compressed H.265 compression, like the you know Canon R5, R6, R3, and the Sony A7S III, A1. Uh, so it was desperately needed, and it's made my life immeasurably better. Yeah, that's something that I, I couldn't emphasize enough because you can't just keep saying the same thing over and over every time you do a YouTube video. But like, that's such a big way that the M1 has changed things is we were suddenly on a course, like on a track to have these amazing new cameras not be very usable. Like it was, it was really a problem in the last generation of computers. And I mean, still a problem for anybody that hasn't updated to an Apple processor. You'd shoot with, let's say an R5 and you just, you almost could not edit the files. Like it, it, the whole computer would just completely slow down. You'd need proxy files. Mm -hmm. And even with these more affordable machines, like what you got is not the most expensive machine. I'm not no. exactly sure how you spec'd it, but it's still the entry level iMac. We don't even have an iMac Pro yet, and it can totally handle that stuff, which is crazy. yeah. I mean, if I I'm really impressed with what we're seeing on the like M1X um, and the Pro uh, the laptops. But I just don't feel like the big difference that I would see would be when I'm exporting video or if I'm working with like Red Raw or Canon Raw files. And I'm not doing that very often because uh, I certainly don't feel like I'm ever waiting for this machine when I'm working with just regular H.264, H.265, ProRes Raw, Blackmagic Raw, all that stuff. It just like cuts through like 
but, or, you know, multiple streams of 8K, it's still running. So uh, I don't feel like I need that, although I will have to buy a laptop next year if we're allowed to travel again. So I'll probably right. wind up with one of those anyways. Well, yeah, I think one of the most common questions I got was, you know, when do I, when is this not enough, right? When isn't a basic M1 enough for what I do and when is it not? And when it comes to video, I think a good example of it is like, if you're doing a, a straightforward edit, meaning that you're just like putting footage on a timeline, occasionally stacking it one clip after the other, you're pretty much okay for, for, for almost anything, um, mm -hmm. obviously, except maybe some raw formats. But if you um, start having layers of color corrections, like you have quite a few adjustments, maybe you have some masks in there. If you're running real-time audio processing filters, if you've got complex titles, like anything that needs some extra rendering, that it'll, it'll instantly start to fall behind. That is when it'll start to choke a bit. Yeah, but if it's a lot just of like, uh, like third-party plugins too. Like yeah, I've got some for right. titles and stuff, uh, and those will really bog it down. It just really needs to be well optimized. So mm -hmm. mostly, I've just been chopping with Apple's default tools because they work really well. Uh, the other thing that kind of blew me away is like I'm pushing through hundred megapixel, lots of sixty megapixel photos into my video edits lately, which used to just bog everything down. Once you add titles and transitions and zooms and stuff, and it just it, it's like I'm working with 1080 video files. It's insane oh, yeah. how well it works it, with photos. I don't remember which project I was working on. Obviously, a camera review, but there was a moment when I realized how bad large resolution photos are for for play, playback. Like, I actually feel like it's a bit of a mistake. Like, they, they should be able to better optimize for it. But yeah, if you have a few, even you know, 30 megapixel files, if you have a bunch of them that are all loaded into the timeline, it can completely crush it. It can be really brutal but uh but yeah okay obviously uh my end is going to be apple heavy as well because like this is just such a good couple of years for apple like they are just dominating with everything so um i bet people can already guess what my winning choice is but i'll start with my runner up because i feel like it's been a great couple of years for it I haven't talked about it enough and that's just the apple watch before before pandemic for covid i kind of wore it occasionally it was like my you know, my weekend watch or my around the house watch. But uh, basically, I, you know, I don't, I don't think it looks as good as traditional mechanical watches with a face on it. Like a, the problem with digital watches is they look like a screen on your wrist, right? So it, just like fashion wise and aesthetic wise, I always preferred real ones. But now that I'm not going anywhere, I've become much more addicted to the, the specific features of an Apple, Apple watch that I use. Um, which I think it, it's critical for anybody that hasn't figured this out about Apple watches. Like you got to turn off almost all your notifications. If it's buzzing on your wrist more than a couple times in a day, like, you know, it's, you've got it set up wrong. You really want it to be minimally communicating with you throughout the day. Um, so yeah, I, I turn off almost everything, but having those little features available when I want to use them of just knowing that a text came in when the phone's in the other room, like around the house is the perfect time to be wearing an Apple watch. So it just, I, it really made me realize how much I like it as I've stayed home more. All that to say, it's not my winner. My winner very expectedly is the M1 uh, Pro, M1 Max, MacBook Pros, which how often can I praise? I mean, how much more can yeah. I say? They're still exactly what we wanted. So yep. I don't know. Have you tried one yet? I still haven't got my hands on one. No. Um, again, I know 
probably early mid next year I'll go really start looking at them. But uh, again, like I don't feel limited by the M1. So anything faster than that, it's like, yeah, when I'm rendering, it'd be great to have faster output or, yeah, you know, it is, I do occasionally work with raw video. It'd be great to mm -hmm. have it for that. Um, and just ergonomically, like I was recently doing one of the only trips I did, the only trip I did last year to Seattle uh, to go work with a um, Nikon Z9. And I had to bring my old uh, 2019 MacBook Pro. Uh, and it was just like stepping back to the stone age uh, and ergonomically as well, you know, uh, all the dongles on the uh, plane. Again, I'd forgot how irritating that is. So I'm really looking forward to just something that makes a little bit more sense when I'm working with footage, you know, SD cards, external drives, things like that. Another way that they've kind of passed the test is anytime anybody's interacted with my machine, they're like, it, it just feels better and newer. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, like I've, I mentioned this before, but like my wife, Anya was sensitive to a lot of the changes of that in between era where she's like, I don't like the feeling of this keyboard. Uh, yeah. what is this touch bar for? I don't get it. Why aren't there any of the ports that I need? And there's always just this physical relationship where, you know, she doesn't, her editing doesn't push the computer as hard because she's not using huge video files and stuff. She's working with photos that you can kind of be handled on any computer. And she's still using her older machine. Even right now, she's still using that 2015 one. But when she uses this one, she's like, this feels so good. Like it yeah. feels like a premium machine again. And I've heard that from a couple other normal people that don't care about specs. And it's just such an indication of how many things they got right on this, that it's not even just that it's super powerful. It also feels better to, to seems like everybody, honestly. Yeah. Um, I, I do slight, I, I think I'm one of the only people that like, I liked the feeling of the last keyboard. I didn't, I didn't mind it. I don't mind switching to this one. Um, but that, yeah, I don't know. I always feel like that's the one thing that everybody is a little different for me on is the feeling of that, um, you know, easily broken last generation keyboard was fine with me. <laughs> but, uh, well, it's easy when you're just looking at, yeah, this laptop's way, way faster. Uh, there's nothing to complain about there. It's those, uh, those subtle tactile things where everybody with Apple has exclusively strong opinions. So, I mean, that's, what's crazy. We basically have nothing to complain about anymore. Yeah. All right. Next up is photo camera, best photo camera in the year. You're going to have much more interesting stuff to say on this than I will. But, um, uh, well, I'll, I'll do mine first because mine might be quicker. Uh, so I, I, I went with the Canon R5. Uh, this is the year that I bought it, you know, so I'm a little behind everybody else, but uh, I'd been using one for a, a little while the year before. And I, I, I knew how good it was. Like, it just is, it's sort of almost boring how efficient it is. And I think that's why so much of the news and so much of the reviews when it came out were talking about the video issues because like it had these bold claims of 8K uh, and, and 8K raw and then it overheated. So there's all this drama around it. But the best things about it are super boring. Like it yeah. just works really, really well. The autofocus is amazing. And the, you know, the colors are what they've always been and the resolutions there. It's just like, it just ticks all the boxes and you spend so little time while you're using it wishing for anything else. Like it's just already there. Um, so I've really appreciated that about the R5, not thinking about my stills camera as much. Um, we also have a hybrid category, but um, also it's, that would kind of tick your box too, probably. Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, okay, but yeah, you you've tried a lot more cameras. That's part of the thing is I tested 
very few uh, stills cameras last year. So like I, I'm barely even qualified to be talking about best stills camera for, for 2021. What do you think? Uh, well, I do want to mention like the R5 since it's come out has been my daily, like if I am taking pictures or I've got a lens review coming up, a lot of the time I'm just requesting it in RF mount because it's just, it's a good dependable body. Like it has its video issues, but for photography, that's been the camera that I'm going for all the time. But uh, my pick for this year is uh, one of the few times I've been able to actually like properly for a couple weeks review a photo camera. Uh, and I absolutely loved it was the new Fujifilm uh, GFX 100S. Uh, I think that was my runner up for camera of the year was the GFX 100 last year, but it was a giant boat anchor with the most uncomfortable <laughs> vertical grip I've ever felt in my hand. And the dials were, were pretty much sure the same dials that they had in their like $900 um, Fujifilm X-T30 uh, on this $10,000 monster of a camera. Mm -hmm. uh, so what they did this year is they just made a body that feels like a premium SLR, like it feels like a you know, Nikon D850 or a Canon 5D4 or something like that, but with still that 100 megapixel medium format, uh, best image quality that I've seen off of any sensor. Uh, but it's just a body that feels great when you're walking around with it. Uh, and the autofocus works quite well. And it's actually like a pretty respectable video camera as well, which you would not expect with medium format. Uh, and they're just my favorite files to edit. I'm always happy when we get GFX uh, lenses in for review because it means I get to process a bunch of beautiful GFX files and like nothing else processes like those photos. Nice. I, I mean, I wish I had tried it. I, I always wish I could find ways to integrate Fuji more into my workflow because we're just, we're just in such a good place for camera selection, which I could have said that every year for the last little while, but it's like, it's, it's maybe getting better and better because like we, we just have, we don't have that many brands to choose from. Like some of them are sort of, falling away but everything out there is good everybody that's uh you know really still still thriving is putting out amazing cameras mm -hmm. and fuji being in this what are they like fourth place are they so well, actually yeah what what is sort of like our current like ranking in terms of sales i, f I think i heard that canon overtook like sony had overtook canon for a moment canon yeah. came Canon's back, back. Canon's back above. Yeah. Right. Uh, and then I believe it's actually Fujifilm and then Nikon now. I think right. that was the major transition that happened this year. Yeah. Okay. That's, yeah, that's interesting. So, um, I don't know. We're just in this in incredible place for the selection of cameras here. And, uh, well, obviously we're going to go through some more of them. So, okay. So next one, then we're still in the same world is, is hybrid camera. Um, and I went with one that I didn't get, I didn't get my hands on. That's the thing. I didn't get my hands on almost anything new this year, like very few new cameras. Um, but just by watching everybody else's reviews and I'm still trying to get a hold of one. Sony says they're going to let me, they're going to send you under review, but it's been so well reviewed that I, I don't know how I'm going to, but that's the Sony a seven four. Um, yeah. we've been, we've been waiting for it forever. We knew it was going to be good. And you know, the only reason I'd put it uh, that I'm choosing instead of the R five, partly it's to be interesting. So I don't just only choose the R five for everything, but it's also that, you know, it's at a, it's at a more accessible price point. It's a little more of an everybody camera. The R5 is still, um, especially the, the size of the files, the photo, like the, that you always have big files that you're storing. Yeah. So if you do burst mode, you're always filling up a memory card quickly. It's a little less flexible with memory cards as well. The R5 forces you into a bit more of a professional workflow with 
I'd say, you know, only like cert, like some specific minimally important advantages, um, but they're, they're not huge. Like the, the image quality coming out of the a7 IV to my eye, you know, looks comparable for almost every use. And uh, I, I can't think of the price difference off the top of my head. Maybe you know it, but um, uh, for most people, you're not going to be in a way better place going for the R5, even though, uh, you know, they have very similar image quality. So um, unfortunately that, you know, this cropped 60p is something that I would, I would notice like just my workflow for a while now, including when I was shooting mostly Sony was to very flexibly and quickly be switching back and forth between 24p and 60p and yeah. suddenly having your composition completely change is not great. Uh, because, and this is probably, this is the biggest trade-off. This is maybe the biggest reason that I, it could be worth it to, if, if hybrid is an important type of category for you to be working in, you might need the, something like the R5 or, you know, or one of the more expensive Sony's, um, is just, it's not that the cropped 60 looks bad. Cropped is fine. Super 35 is yep. fine. You can work with it, but you need to have the lens on the camera that makes sense in a crop mode. So if you're shooting regular speed, on full frame, it sucks to, to jump backwards. So, Oh, it totally um, does. Yeah. Uh, but I also I like this was the standard until this year. I mean, the a seven S three crept in and mm -hmm. the R five last year, but you know, like I still shoot with an S one H Panasonic, which is a pretty expensive video camera. It's still a 4k crop in it. And what's cool with the Sony is it is an oversampled, um, 4k 60 crop. So the quality of that 4k 60 is actually really solid where with mm -hmm. a lot of cameras, when you're going to the high speed crops, it's down to one to one pixel readout, not to get too nerdy, but, uh, the 4k 60 footage looks really good out of the Sony. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah it's, I, I, I would love to have one to also be shooting. Uh, so hopefully I get to sometime soon, but, uh, what about you? What do you think? What's your favorite hybrid? So we had all three flagship full frames come out this year. So those were my choice going into it. So we had the A1. People forget that came out, uh, the Sony A1 I right at the start of the year. Uh, which, which is which actually a is the, phenomenal video camera. Sorry, that's the one that I did use. Uh, there's very few other extra cameras I use, and the A1 is the only one that I did spend some more time on. It's a better camera than the A7 IV, so in some ways I could choose it. I just like the A7 IV's price point. Anyway, sorry to interrupt you going. Oh, not at all. Uh, and the big thing there is like the A7 IV I really loved, but that rolling shutter did really bother me on that camera. Um, you know, even not like I'm doing whip pans with stuff like Chris talking and waving his hands around. It was bothering me a little bit there where the A1, like all of those big flagship cameras, they have stacked sensors now. So they read out super quick. Like unless you fire a strobe, you really can't see the difference between that and a, uh, a uh, global shutter. Uh, wait, but I did wait, really... Can you explain a stack sensor to me? I never went down the rabbit hole of reading about what they're doing and how it works. Okay. So this is why I have a bunch of very smart, very nerdy people in Seattle who can get into the nitty gritty, but this essentially the they put the electronics yeah. on the chip. Uh, so there's not that delay where they're reading it out and then it can offload that information afterwards out to the processor. Uh, so basically it just means super fast capture time, uh, which is really important. That gives you a rolling shutter. It lets you fire strobes and stills, which all of these new cameras are allowing you to do. It kind of reminds me of a theme of good things lately, because uh, the way you're describing it reminds me of having everything on the chip in the new Mac, like Apple created processors, that having the RAM 
become shared memory for the, G the GPU. And like now there's just memory instead of, mm -hmm. you know, RAM being accessed by the CPU and for the GPU separately, they share it. It's like everything being in the same place gives you this faster access. So they're not discrete individual components. Uh, I mean, I think that sounds like what, that's what's going on with stack chips as well, which obviously I need to read a Wikipedia article on it, but, um, okay. But yeah, I don't know. Tell me more about the scammer. Uh, so yeah, there we're getting essentially with the, the pro cameras, you know, this, that's always been the trade off of like the sports cameras are generally low resolution, but super fast. And then they'll make a high resolution option as well. And the a one was the first time that we saw, look, this thing shoots 30 frames per second raw, uh, and it's 50 megapixels. Uh, you don't have to choose and it's itty bitty, which is really amazing. Um, but I'm still not in love with the ergonomics of that and the video interface of the Sony, I think still think needs a bit of work. So I was really excited about the Canon R3 was the next flagship that came out there, right. uh, which super fast readout on it. And that was the one that everybody was excited because it has eye control and you, ha you had an Elan, right? Do I remember yeah, that yeah. correctly? Yeah. I mean, so I've had eye control back to like, you know, 2004 or something, whenever, whenever that came out, that was the first camera that I spent uh, like real money on. It was like a thousand dollars when it came out and I still think it was a worthwhile investment. Yeah. I w my wife had an EOS three, which was funny because it didn't work with her eyes at all and worked great with mine. So I was like, Oh, I'm just going to borrow your camera and enjoy but that's this the crazy thing. eye control feature. Is it worked? It totally worked all yep. the way back then, whatever year that was. Well, but I do want to change things up a little because, uh, then we got the R three and I was shooting video with it. Eye control doesn't work in video. So I couldn't wait until I got a production camera to test it out. Cause Chris was in love with it. He's like every camera that I use, I'm missing the eye control. It's the greatest way to select subjects. We shot sports with it. It was wonderful. Uh, he loved it. And then the eye control didn't work for me. I've done endless calibrations on it. And I don't know, like I got fairly saturated eyes, I think. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I couldn't get it to work. My wife couldn't even Weird. get it to calibrate. So I have a tough time. That was really the standout feature. Cause it was back to like, okay, your sports camera is lower resolution. They dropped it down to 24 megapixels. Um, and, uh, it, it works very well, but in terms of performance, it really feels like an R5 to me. Like, I don't feel like a quantum mm. jump forward. It seems like you really notice that if you are using the eye control, which didn't work great for me. So that's out. So I had to go with the uh, Nikon Z9 as my hybrid camera. I absolutely loved shooting video with it, which really surprised me because uh, Nikon hasn't been great with that. But one real standout is the entire interface works with your eye up to the viewfinder. Uh, so I sh I'm sure you know this with the R5. It's like it mm -hmm. wants your finger. It wants you poking at that back screen uh, to really select your subject, maintain tracking. And if it falls off of them, it can be a real hassle. You got to take your eye off the viewfinder. The Nikon, it works the way you want it to. You just put the joystick on your subject. It keeps tracking. You want to change it to something else. You can poke at the screen or move the tracking point onto something else. Uh, and the quality of it is just beautiful. Uh, it's got internal log recording. It will shoot eventually ProRes raw and Nikon's own raw video format, uh, internally, no external recorder required, which is really sweet. Um, it's the fastest readout that we've seen from any of these cameras. And I love that it has a low native ISO. It goes down to 64 ISO, uh, with an actual picture quality increase. So, you know, it's nice to have an extra two thirds of a stop of headroom before you have to start pulling out neutral density filters. Uh, it's, a killer little video camera, which I was not expecting. I miss it. I have only gotten 
about four days to shoot with that. And it's funny, I'm holding one. This is the one we just used for the mirrorless party short, uh, if you're watching this on a video feed. Um, but it's just a dummy camera. They're taunting me because <laughs> I needed I needed a body. Right. And they're like, this one doesn't work, but you can yeah, have it. Good so, enough. Yeah, so I just look at it every day and I'm like, oh, I'm so close to actually having one of these that I can put a battery in and use. Uh, but I miss it. I think that's the real sign of a great hybrid camera is I wake up every morning and I'm like, man, I wish I had that camera today. This has really snuck up on me because I've always said Nikon's a big blind spot for me because they were, they've traditionally always been so similar to Canon, you know, like mm -hmm. just very comparable feature sets, which just means I look at it less because it's like, well, you know, I've already chosen Canon. So, um, but this was a lot of people's favorite camera of the year. Uh, you know, it, it, again, again, if nobody's watched the DP review video that you guys did, you already chose your favorites and went much more in depth into different categories and lenses and all that. Uh, so you guys, well, we were drinking while we did it. So this is going to be more cogent. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hopefully, uh, yeah. we'll see. But, um, yeah, so seeing the Nike, seeing Nikon show up on so many lists, like they clearly put out something amazing that I didn't pay enough attention to. Is mm -hmm. it enough to become part of a Nikon comeback story? Like, can, is there, is there hope? If they can make them, I mean, that's the thing, like, mm -hmm. you know, talking to retail, it seems like this is outselling all the flagships by a huge margin. I think it's because huh. Nikon shooters have been waiting longer for a flagship body. You know, with Sony's, you had the A9s, people with Canon, you had the R5s, those like, these are good enough for pros um, coming out. But Nikon shooters haven't had that. Uh, so this is the first one. I think that's a big part of it. But also it just, it, it's very well developed. Like you can see where all that time went. I didn't mention the weirdest thing with this, which is that there's no uh, shutter with that. Oh, it's just, okay. yeah. They took out the mechanical shutter completely because the sensor reads out so fast it doesn't need it, right. uh, which is weird to think about. Uh, it does have like a protective cover that you can drop down, but uh, that's just for protection. Uh, but yeah, they're making a lot of really interesting decisions and the new Nikon lenses that have been coming out have been fantastic. So I do think it's a real comeback story. The question is, yeah, can they get enough chips to actually sell these to people? Because we've been seeing like in Japan, they're telling people, if you order today, you will get it in October 2022 is the current right. uh, delivery time. And then... Uh, if they really want to make a big splash, you uh, might remember, or you might not, because you were in an icon shooter. I, probably not. A while back, they brought out the D3 was their big revolutionary camera, changed everything for them. They right. were viewed as way behind Canon until that came out. And then very shortly after, they brought out the D700, which was most of the features in like a cons well prosumer kind of body, just like a 5D style thing. And I think if they did that, this sensor in a more consumer body, uh, it would be a huge hit. But who knows if they'll be able to actually get the sensors to fill the orders for the pro body, let alone a more popular consumer one. Uh, if they could, I think Nikon would really pop back up to, you know, that number three position. Well, and of course, the Nikon comeback story would also require a complete lineup of compelling products because that's where everybody is right now is like to, to compete. You can't just have one. You've got to be bringing people in at the entry level and then they start buying their lenses. And then when they're upgrading to their, you know, flagship body, they are sticking to that brand because they already have a lens selection. And I think so much of the, the Canon story has been how EF took over as the lens for, yeah. uh, well, even up till now, I mean, it's becoming 
they RF is inheriting that. I'm not even sure it's because it's the best mount. Mount it's just mm-hmm. because it is the natural progression from EF. So even you know some of the flagship Reds are coming with RF built into it. So this is you know that's the stuff that's going to be hard to compete with is there's this um, integration of Canon lenses in, in pro worlds so that if you're moving up and you're planning on growing into something else, like it just, it has to feel like the whole ecosystem is there. And uh, Sony's done an amazing job at support at the lens support. Um, yeah. Obviously I don't, I don't know what Nikon's doing, but <laughs> anyway, they're doing the same thing as Canon. Canon okay, and Nikon yeah. are just like, we're not telling anyone anything yeah. so we can sell our own lenses. And the perception is they don't have a very good lens lineup. So right. I would love to see that change. The other thing I don't think we talk about enough is like these mirrorless mounts are great because you can use those old SLR lenses. Oh yeah. But yeah, then course. if you get a mirrorless lens, it's mm-hmm. only going to work on that mirrorless lens mount. You're not going to be able to adapt it. There's no space for an adapter there unless yeah. you want to stick uh, Sony lenses on this Nikon, which does work because uh, it's the shallowest mount. But well, yeah, that's really it, your only option. I there. still have not been investing in RF lenses after after all this time. I'm still like, I think I bought three new EF lenses last year because that still feels like the future to me. And you know, it's going to work on anything, whichever way you go, but you should really try a 28 to 70 F too. That was the most fun lens I've shot with in a long time. I'll try one, but I definitely, I definitely won't be buying one, but uh, okay. That leads us into the next thing, which is video cameras. Um, Cause this is when I, I think this is when these ingredients become more important. Like you're a little more sensitive to your lens selection, like in photography, um, you're, you're not thinking there's nothing above the good photo camera you're going to get, right? Like if you get the Z9 or you get the R5 or R3 or whatever. Um, but in the video world, there's always the thought in the back of your head. It's like, even though I got a really good video camera, I might get a job with a red on it or, you know, there's always something yeah. above whatever you have now. So that lens selection can be a bit more, but okay. Let's talk about best video camera of the year. I already know what you cho- chose in the DP review video. Um, so is that still stands. All yeah, right. uh, Go for it, I, I did love the Ronan 4D. That was uh, DJI's. Uh, basically, I mean, you could look at it two ways. It's either they stuck a camera on their Ronin gimbal or they took their little Osmo handheld gimbal and just made it supersized into a giant full-frame camera. And when I first saw it, I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. It had a fourth axis because, you, you know, when you use a gimbal... Uh, it won't compensate for bounce up and down. Mm-hmm. That's the one thing. So that's why you see people doing the silly crab walks on set or working with a bungee solution, uh, a lot of stuff like that. Uh, so it does offset that, but it's actually all the other stuff that made it the most interesting camera for me. The biggest one is actually the focus dial on it. So it has a very smooth follow focus, just like what you'd see on a proper set have a follow focus unit. You have your AC mm-hmm. holding a little box and he's spinning a wheel and it's remotely focusing the lens feels just like that, but it has a bunch of different haptic settings to it. So you can say, put the camera in autofocus and you'll feel that focus wheel moving underneath your finger. And if you wanted to stop or override it, you just touch on it, override it. It feels That's amazing. It, I thought it would be wow. really hard to get used to, but it immediately just feels intuitive. The second you start feeling that. So I uh, haven't and, tried one yet. I still, did you guys get yours, uh, like right around release? Like, I, I actually don't, I think I saw the DP review video for it. Cause we they, were everybody, sl- everybody yeah, released after. videos at the same time. Yeah. Well, I was like a week after that. Um, right. So, uh, I used it to just shoot a couple camera store episodes. I think a lot of people 
treated it more as a filmmaking tool, but for that mm -hmm. kind of stuff where you're just like the one man band following someone around, it's such a great tool for that. The other thing I just, I have to touch on is, uh, the wave for the focus waveform. So it basically uses LIDAR, which is kind of like radar to build a map, an overhead map of your scene. And as you pull focus, you see a line move through that. So if you've got two actors, there will be a couple of blobs in the scene and you can just smoothly rack focus between the two of them. Uh, it feels like a video game. Chris said it feels a lot like Rainbow Six, which I never played, but I'll take his word for it. Uh, but it feels very, very intuitive uh, when you're working with that, especially for like walk and talks and things like that. Uh, you'll see people walking past trees and things and know exactly where the camera's locked on. Uh, it has interchangeable lens mounts, which makes a lot of sense to go from PL to Sony E mounts, um, like M, uh, just a bunch of options there. Um, yeah, it's a, and it's the same sensor, I believe is my S one H that I use to shoot most of the time. So I was pretty comfortable with what was coming out there too. I really wonder if people are buying it. So, cause when it came out, like this was the most surprised I have been in a long time by seeing I, I just saw the videos came out. Like I experienced it the way that everybody else did of just like, wait, what, what is this? Yeah. Like this is, and it's branded Ronin. Like that's really straight. I still think that's weird about it is giving it the same branding as the, as the gimbals. Um, but what a crazy camera. And you know, so my choice is going to be different because I didn't even try this, but it's going to be one of the most memorable things that came out that year. Um, like the, all this list of features you're talking about is insane. I mean, like these are things that you have to buy so many accessories to be able to get that same functionality. And yeah, I'm, I'm really curious how it's selling. Cause I would still have a hard time buying this as my, my only camera. Like that yeah. it sort of takes a lot of confidence to be like, I'm going to get, I'm going to spend, I think it's 8,000 us or something like, you know, I'm going to spend the same amount as, as other competing mid range professional cameras. And the only one I'm going to have would be this super weird experiment. Yeah. Are people it, doing that? You know, I'm not sure, but it's, it's so interesting. Well, I brought it to, uh, Noah Fallis, a guy here in Calgary and just mm -hmm. like, Hey, I can't shoot for a couple of days. Why don't you mess around with this and tell me what you think? And he's like, it's a real shame that this came out when it did. Cause I already bought the Ronin, the Segway that I attached the Ronin to for the big <laughs> tracking shots, the full frame cameras. Uh, like if you're looking for an all in one package, like if I, they're like, you have one camera from now on. I almost think despite the size, that would be the way that I would go. Uh, Cause also it has a little wireless system. That's the same one they use in their drones. So just pass it off to your AC to pull focus or to your client monitor. You've got now a real time monitor that can control the camera remotely. Uh, you know, car shots, stick it in a car with your actors or your models and drive along beside them and control the camera remotely. All that kind of stuff that's like, just a good wireless video follow focus rig is a good seven thousand, eight thousand dollars right now. Uh, if but you're going to use that kind of stuff, it's uh, it's all there. The reason I would hesitate and probably it might be enough reason not to buy this first generation of it is anytime there are products that have all the whiz bang features, there is just more to break. Like there's more yep. to potentially go totally. wrong with it. Um, it's less proven from the manufacturing side. DJI has less experience putting these out there and yeah, there's just a higher percentage chance of like, okay, something weird is going to happen. And, um, I don't know. I mean, obviously people own these and they can give us some feedback. I've had weird things happen with my camera too, that doesn't have as many crazy features. So, um, 
yeah, yeah I, I, you know, I'd, I'd be, I'd just be a little, whereas like if you split apart those features to different pieces of mm -hmm. hardware, something is weird with your gimbal, you can replace the gimbal or like you can localize the troubleshooting a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. totally. Uh, I do think it's kind of cool. The camera module is removable with it. So for upgrades in the future, hopefully you'll just be yeah, able to cool. buy the core kit. Um, and then as far as service, I didn't, I haven't been in a retail location for a few years now, but I do remember DJI service was a headache. So we'll right. have to see how that pans out. Um, I think those are kind of the big questions with it. But the other thing in terms of how it's selling, I don't know how you sell this without having a bunch of people play with it. And you can't mm -hmm. do that right now. So right. my guess is it's selling poorly. Like when I talked to the camera store recently, I'm like, you have to get a demo in to feel how this thing all works. Um, and they can't. So I'm guessing it's not doing well until we can play with things in person again. Mm-hmm. I bet it could be the future. Okay, yep. so mine, um, I, the, there's some irony with mine. Again, I didn't review that many new cameras this year, so I'm I'm a little handicapped. I'm going to choose the Canon C70 because it's the camera that I bought. Uh, so obviously, I like it. Like it just it is it was is just such a quality of life improvement over what I was doing before, which was shooting the C200, which I absolutely loved. I loved the images that came out of it. But holy cow, the smaller body and batteries that last forever and just one like wonderful image quality all the time i'm always you know freshly surprised at how good it looks and how easy it is to expose it exactly the way that you want and not have the noise issues that are inherent in some other cameras c200 included um the fact that it takes sd memory cards so i haven't had to go through like a whole upgrading of all my cards basically i've just been buying the sony tough cards because they don't even have to be the more expensive v660 is that the re required one like you can get, you can still shoot almost everything on the more mid-range speeds of cards um it's compact you know i can i i did travel a bit last year and i was able to always put this just in a normal backpack whereas I was getting used to like, well, if I have a cinema camera, I can't just run around with that. So the, you know, something like a C200 or, or anything else in that category is going to be too big to just quickly pull it out and casually shoot. Right. And the C70 totally changes that. Now there are other cameras that do this. Obviously Sony has some pretty good options out there right now. Um, the thing I, that I was like, I wouldn't, the reason I don't put the Sony's first is they all have the exact same sensor, which is that a7S yeah. III sensor that is, Excellent. Of course, it's amazing. Like it, it, everybody I know that's shooting on this, like their work looks, you know, better than mine. It's not, it's not a real compromise to be using this stuff. But the one place that it falls behind is the one place that I care the most, which is dynamic range. Uh, and it seems like th there's a bit of an edge on the current Canon sensor. So even if you get a competing video camera in in anywhere else in this price range, I, I just feel like right now the C70 has pulled ahead of. Of, of everything else. Now, that said, it has a like some serious build quality issues that are I've never experienced in another Canon. So, what the hell is going on? Like, it's really weird. The screen is is it feels broken. Like I'm, I'm shooting with it right now, so I can't jiggle it so you hear the sound. But like, you can just hear it like the screen cracking. I I haven't seen anybody have their screen stop working. So I don't know if this how far you can go with this before it just actually stops i maybe it never completely breaks maybe it just feels broken but it's really really loose and yeah. uh you know what i've said about it is comparing it to the canon r which 
I got it on sale and it was like $2,000 or less. Uh, its screen is still rock solid. There is absolutely no weird jiggle with it. And it is a much more affordable camera or even, you know, the rebel T2I I had whenever, <laughs> like that screen never broke. This was never a problem before. So suddenly I don't know where it came from that it is. Um, and there's just also some sort of quality control on the body. The, the dial is not as good as it should be. Like it's just yeah. these little things. I'm like, why, why did Canon suddenly have these problems? in the camera body that I was otherwise so happy with. So yeah, it's like, yeah. it's a bit of a qualified choice, but yeah, I was so excited just looking at the specs and the sensor for that. And then I haven't filmed with one yet. Uh, I've just gotten my hands on one and my immediate impression was just like underwhelmed at, like you said, the build quality, the feel of it. Uh, but I do still really want to test that. I never got a chance to review one. So, uh, you know, maybe some, if you try to decide to take yeah, another yeah, vacation could, or something yeah, like that, I might hit you up. Yeah. We'll, we'll sort something. Tell Canon yeah. to just fire me one back along with yours at the same time. So I can actually test that thing. Uh, I'm very curious because for a while when you were on the C200, you were actually doing some round tripping, which sounded like a pain to me. Like I know you were doing your raw processing in resolve working mm -hmm. within final cut. So with the C70 now, has that stopped or? You... Oh yeah. I mean like the, the workflow is just so good. Yeah. So what I was doing on the C200 is I would have all. And so if anybody still has a C200, this workflow works well. And you, the image quality is a little bit better because shooting in raw does hold on to more color information in the highlights. Like it is visible, like you can see it. So, it's, and the common example of where you'll see this is if a sky is really bright, you can keep more blue in that overexposed sky as you recover it. So you're shooting 12 bit raw and that's going to, uh, see fast card. And I just, I plug the card into my computer. Don't download the raw photos. I just open up all the fo or photos, image, uh, video files, open up all those video files in resolve. Like I just create a project that, th and throw everything into one timeline. And I apply either, sometimes I'll apply, apply a transform to all those files so that they are now, um, you know, full rec 709. So I put my uh, C log two light on it, or mm -hmm. I'll just keep them in C log two and then re-export all those out of the resolve either in, uh, still in log or transform to, to proper color if I'm doing something quicker and put them all into usually ProRes 422 LT. If I'm, especially if I transform the colors, I'll do AT LT because I know I don't need another log transform. Like that's when you need all the detail of a very uncompressed file is if you're going to extract more information from it. But if you've already extracted all that color information, you don't really need, uh, a, you know, the t like ProRes four 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 four. Like makes no sense. There, you would, you can't, you can't access that color information anymore anyway. So don't make the files enormous. Um, so yeah, I transcode it, and then that's what I'd be editing with. Uh, so now I just, I just dump all these ten bit C log two files onto my computer and just work with them. Like I, I, and now with the new Macs, I don't need proxies. I was using a proxy workflow, which works very well with the C70. It's got the two cards, two card slots, and you can set it up perfectly to do a proxy workflow better than I had experienced with anything else, but you just totally don't need it. Um, it's great. It's really, it's really dream. great. Yeah, it is the dream. Uh, and it's 4k. And, okay. Wait, one more complaint about the C70 before we move on. Um, I wish it was sharper. It's like visibly, it's visibly kind of soft. And I did some comparisons next to the R5 recently. 
R5 is like oversampling, especially if you use it on the Everything sucks compared to an R5. That's well, something you're going to have to deal with. <laughs> it's so sharp. Like, it's beautiful. And I know the Sonys also have this like sharpness feeling, um, but it's not, it, you, there seems to be no in camera way to get that out of a C70. I experimented with all the sharpness settings. I tried turning them up on the in camera stuff, and it's just not there. Like, so now I've been sharpening in post, and that does make it kind of feel like most of the others, but you know, it's not, it's not as inherently sharp and it bugs me because I can see it even streaming off YouTube. If I'm watching on a big screen TV and I watch, of course, st the standard is always Marquez, but if I pull up an MKBHD video right after I watch one of mine, I can always see the difference. His is like sharp, sharp, sharp. And yeah, um, oversampled is just better. And we're going to yeah. start seeing that more and more. I think we're at the end of like the A7S3 FX6 sensor, I think is the last time we're going to see, yeah. you know, those basically shooting at your video resolution kind of cameras. Uh, right. yeah, it oversampled looks better. All right. Getting out of production, let's get into mainstream media. Next up is podcasts. Um, this is actually weirdly hard for me because like, even though I listen to a lot of podcasts, I wasn't really sure what to choose this year, so uh, I gave it some thought. But do, do, did you have an easy podcast choice? Yeah, so I had to do the same thing. I had to go back and check because I'm not driving as much anymore. So I don't listen to as many podcasts, so I'm having trouble keeping up with my existing ones. Uh, but I do really like history podcasts, and I've found they all have an issue, which is uh, someone is really into one area of history uh, so they pump out a ton of episodes and you're like, this is great. We're getting lots of them. And then they go outside of their wheelhouse and to record a podcast uh, takes months of research. And the most famous example would be um, Hardcore History Hardcore is history. the biggest one. <laughs> yeah. You know, every year you get an episode and it's great. Uh, so to fill those gaps, I started listening to uh, Fall of Civilizations by a guy named mm. Paul Cooper, which I was like, he just put out an episode every month. This is incredible. Like, no, History Podcast has achieved this. And now we're every six months he's putting out an episode. Uh, but it is fantastic. Um, you know, he's not as emphasizing the human experience as much as Hardcore History, which is what it's kind of known for. But it's very clear, very easy to follow, really interesting research on it. Uh, and he's got a very soothing British voice that I, I, I love when I'm Wonderful. just doing like chores around the house or whatever. You're learning things. It's soothing. You're in a good, calm place. Uh, I can't recommend it enough. There's not as many episodes as I'd like to see. But if you're like me and you're waiting for the next Hardcore History, then definitely check out Fall of Civilizations. It's very, very good. Well, I am like you. Like, that's exactly me. So I will subscribe to that. And you sold me on podcasts before. I mean, because I've never heard of that one. And it, uh, I guess it was two years ago you told me about Blank Check, which I had. That was last year. Yeah. And I've been working through the back. It was only last back. year? That was last year. Yeah. And I've been working oh, through the okay. back catalog there as well. Uh, right yeah. Now. I mean, I've listened, now I've listened to all of them that I ever will. Because, like, here, so here's my problem, actually. All my favorite movie podcasts, which are. I guess I only have two are the blank check and, um, what's the, um, flop house, flop house. Yeah. Don't cover most movies. Like they don't just review every major movie that comes out. They're mostly reviewing stuff that I don't watch. Like a lot of it's bad movies and in blank check. A lot of it's the, yeah, the weird obscure ones that a director was able to make because of their blank check. I'm like, I don't want to watch every single thing yeah. by a director that, you know, as his, career is falling apart. <laughs> so there's a lot of movies I don't want to listen or a lot of episodes. I'm not that interested in from both of my favorite podcasts, but I don't have a, a show that I love that 
just reviews every big movie that comes out. The closest to that is actually Red Letter Media on mm-hmm. YouTube. They don't have a podcast version, but they'll do, you know, one hour reviews and they'll cover m- most big movies. Like they never hesitate at a, you know, a Marvel big budget thing. So you know, often I can find the review that I'm looking for. So, but yeah, so I, I could, I could still use another recommendation for a mo- a great movie podcast that covers the, the big movies. Cause I do watch yeah. a lot of big movies. So. I kind of like with the blank check and the flop house thing that like, I'm never going to watch this movie, but I like the director. So right. I can, I can listen to it with people whose company I enjoy. I get the gist of it and uh, I never have to watch the film, which I think I is do, a great yeah. time saver. I, I do do that. Just not, I can't do, I, I can't do it for like hundreds of movies. <laughs> um, okay. So mine, uh, first I'll start with some runner ups, run runners up. Um, very important to talk about, which I, th- I think I mentioned it last year. Hopefully it wasn't out, but is team Deacon's podcast. Cause it's just like, mm. it still feels like this miracle that we got it. It's not even that it's like the best produced pod. There's some weird things about how they choose to produce it that I think are kind of funny yeah. and interesting, but like the fact that we have the, 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 the flagship cinematographer of our era, just putting out an extremely candid and open, uh, filmmaking podcast, talking to the best of the best, in such a straightforward, in-depth way, like it's 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 just really a gift to to future filmmakers that they decided to start working on this project. Um, and I'm I'm always grateful for it. So if anybody hasn't listened to it, you really should. You just this, even if you just like film, you don't need to be an aspiring filmmaker. This is the time to jump on it too, because he's on hiatus right now. So if right, you, yeah. So catch yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. there's a and they they were so regular. They've put out so many. Um, and then uh, other runner-up, and especially this one because I, I listen to every episode pretty much as soon as it comes out. But is the indicator? It's a, a spinoff from Planet Money, which is you know one of the biggest shows out there from NPR. But the indicator is just ten minutes long, and it is usually a little more up to date. So uh, I've actually started like not even listening to every Planet Money episode because sometimes the indicator has already covered the topic better and they are usually daily. So I think five episodes a week and just like, here's a thing that is affecting the economy right now. And it's 10 minutes long. So, uh, yeah, listen to that as soon as it comes out. Yeah. I checked out a planet money a while ago, so that's great. Yeah. It's an easier recommend. It's very easy to recommend to everybody. But so my, my winning one, uh, my podcast of the year is actually much harder to recommend because it's actually paid, which is like super weird. There's not that many paid podcasts out there right now. But it's just so solid that I can't help it. And it's dithering from Ben Thompson and John Gruber and mostly focused around Mac news. It's 15 minutes twice a week. Uh, and it's, I think, I think it's five bucks a month. Super weird to, to be paying, you know, like half of a Netflix subscription just for one show. The problem is there's not many people with as good of insight into the tech industry as the two of them. And, and especially Ben Thompson, like if anybody, you know, doesn't subscribe to Stratechery or, uh, you know, read his newsletter or listen to his show and his other podcast when it comes out, I mean, he, it's just like, he's talking about the same things the rest of us are, but he is finding truly creative, original perspectives on it and ways to think about it that are more, I don't know, just have more foresight and more insight than I I think most people usually do. And so like, there's just always 
fresh ideas that come out of that show. And I, I think there's a reason that it's also, it ends up being a widely quoted show on other podcasts, even like here I, I refer to them on other blogs, like the things they say on that show spread around because the ideas coming out of it are really interesting and original. So it's a few bucks makes it hard to recommend because like who wants to pay for every podcast they listen to. But I, it's, it's the only one that I keep paying for that. Like I never go on hiatus with it. And I just, I, it's worth it. Dithering. It's great. Can you just text me every interesting thing they say? Uh, cause, cause that's pretty steep, Tyler. <laughs> yeah, I know it really is. But they also, um, they do have a feature where you can, you can like share clips of the paid episode. Like they have some amount of like, they're trying to get the best content. If you really like a moment in there, I don't remember how the feature exactly works, but, um, yes, it's steep. I will. I'll, 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 oh, they also have highlights. So there's a highlight episode that is free. That is hmm. moving on movies best movie of 2021 what's yours gonna be yours is gonna be something like i've never heard of right no not at all this year okay. uh, my runner-up might be i hope not um my runner-up i adored nicholas cage's new movie pig um oh, which tell me yeah the trailer looks like it's gonna be a revenge thriller it's terrible um it, it is looks, not that at it all looks sad to me i don't know that's why i didn't watch him like it feels like a downer which it, it, that's not a bad thing i just I gotta be in the I movie. mean, his pig is missing, Tyler. That's a very sad situation. It really uh, is. I'm, yeah. I, it makes me sad. Okay. Pigs are cute, and this yeah. one can find truffles, and when they're gone, you're very, very sad, uh, yeah. especially when you've been living in the woods for a couple decades, like he has. But uh, it does not go the direction you expect at all. It kind of turns into probably the best food movie that I've seen since, like, Big Night came out in the 80s, uh, like, talking about gourmet food, but in a very non-pretentious way, because he was a former chef, uh, looks at kind of the underbelly of Seattle, which is not something that you ever see, you know, the seedy side of the Seattle culinary scene. Uh, doesn't sound like something that you've ever seen, and you haven't, and it's super compelling. I uh, but the ending is just one of the most moving things, uh, the most moving thing I've seen in the movies this year, when you expect it's going to be a big fight or some dramatic thing it's it's a very quiet beautiful i definitely don't want to spoil it but uh i uh i watched it on an airplane and i was a disaster uh by the time i arrived at calgary international so it's like yeah. i don't have i don't have I don't covid my nose is just yeah. running and it was really really poignant at the end there. Right. uh it, look, beautiful film uh, and it's a small movie so i think it needs all the help it can get uh but my yeah. winner Wait, before oh, sorry. you Rainer, I just, you, have you already watched the trailer for the unbearable weight of massive talent? Yes. Loved it. I just can't believe that's being made. Like I, yeah. it, it probably won't be a great movie, but I'm like, yes, this is, I love this level of meta. Yeah. Uh, this is the I, it feels Space like they gave college humor, like, Hey, here's $10 million. <laughs> Go make a fake trailer for us, yeah, but it's going to be a movie. Yeah. It's uh, amazing. I mean, I love the two levels of cage like i like big b movie cage um but uh, like adapt but then acting nicholas cage is probably one of my top three actors like adaptation is my favorite movie ever made sure, yeah. uh yeah, and and this is very much adaptation nick cage so right. if you're looking for a b movie don't watch it if you want a great movie check out pig and then if you want b movie then definitely unbear the title I can never remember where Nick Cage plays himself. That's yeah. next year. Uh, but my winner is another one that not enough people are seeing, but it's one of the biggest movies ever. Uh, West Side Story mm. blew mm. me away. Um, right. You know, uh, I like the original. I like 
uh, musicals. You know, I know the songs and stuff like that. I I love the way the original looks. Like just yeah. visually, it feels so contemporary. It is so like the colors are incredible, and it mm-hmm. is such a beautiful film. Like it looks yeah. amazing today. You know what's more beautiful? The new the West. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, so I, I haven't seen it yet. I want to see it. In, I, I, I'm trying. I would like to get to to theaters. Well, if they're still open, I'd like to see it in theaters because it, it, it looks I really like, good. I mentioned I liked it, and people were like, "No spoilers," and it's like, yeah. "Don't you have to read Romeo and Juliet in high school?" Is a requirement <laughs> yeah. globally? Yeah. Uh, but uh, just seeing because uh, this year we also had In the Heights come out, which was the other big yeah, budget by musical, and yeah. everybody was like, "Oh, this is going to bring the musical back." And In the Heights felt like a very well done contemporary music video to me. Uh, you yeah. know, I thought the editing was a little much. I liked the songs, yeah, but West Side Story it. is like, if you give a choreographer and a great director and a great cinematographer and months, they did four months of rehearsals for this uh, and just let them go. It's, it's incredible uh, seeing that stuff synchronized. Like I, I was almost a mess. Like I was watching peg just when I was like, Oh, he just did this amazing crane shot. And you just keep seeing more people doing amazing synchronized movements mm-hmm. throughout the frame. It's just incredible to see that kind of like, that's the big budget filmmaking I miss is not right. like here's, you know, thousands of man hours in, incredible CG work, which I still have huge respect for, but it's like they redid a block in New York city and brought out 500 extras and spent weeks rehearsing. That's the kind of like giant scale that we never see anymore. And I just found it overwhelming to see it again. Like it's, yeah. it's I, not I, a perfect movie, but you don't have to see it. I'm hundred percent into it. I want to see it. I like, if you can see it, it's pretty much, I think out of all the theaters, unless you're in like LA yeah. or New York now. Uh, but it begs to be seen on a big screen. Uh, like I saw it with uh, six octogenarians uh, and myself, and it was, you know, uh, it was still just felt like you were seeing a movie with other people again. It felt very good. So check it I out. Am... If you li- even if you don't like musicals, I don't care. Go see this movie. It's wonderful I mean, I, and it's not I, I've doing started, well. I started to like musicals more and more. Like I, I definitely appreciate them more than I used to. And although it's funny because actually I tried to – this is such a tangent. I tried watching uh, Tick, Tick, Boom. Like I started it mm. because there's a YouTube – like a pr- YouTube promo that you just Google out there where he's singing the Bohemia song in his apartment um, – is really perfect to me. I'm just like, this is the thing I love about musicals. And this one moment is so exactly a hundred percent up my alley. Like it just felt, it felt wonderful. And I've watched it a dozen times. I'm like, I'm definitely watching this. And I kind of stopped watching it halfway through. I didn't finish the movie. Cause I'm like, Oh, I guess I don't really like rent. <laughs> like I don't really like <laughs> the, the like rock musical. I'm like, it just yeah. feels like the cheesy part of the nineties. Like it's not, it's not cool. And the, Bohemia song that I love is acapella. So it's like, I, maybe it's easier for me to get into. Um, so anyway, I don't recommend tick, tick, boom, but some people might like it. Uh, my recommendations are, wait, I wrote them down. Uh, oh yeah. Okay. So the, there's two big, the, the, the really big movie this year was Dune. That was great. Um, it, I, it, I sort of should choose that. Cause like, I like, I like that version of Hollywood where there's lots of money involved in the, the quality of the product is also incredible, right? Like it's big budget and big quality, good actors, good, like everything is coming together and Dune has all that. So, um, I was glad I could see it in theaters. The theater I was in had a hole in the middle of the screen. It was the worst 
of the theaters in the, where I went. So that was unfortunate. But um, I think you should publicly shame that theater. Oh, well, yeah. Chinook Theater, I think it was Theater 11. It's one of the smallest ones. So anyway, only go to AVX or For RX. shame. Um, but the, the, good, the, the one I'm going to give it to is, I'm just choosing like the hardest to, to recommend things here, is Get Back, which is uh, like nine hours long. And I, I started it with my wife and my mother-in-law and we, they couldn't finish it. They just bailed out, but I just, it sent me on the deepest Beatles rabbit hole I've ever been down where afterwards I ended up like, just like reading as much as I could and watching every old live video. And like, I just got so into the Beatles for all of December. Um, and it's all because get back is just so well executed. Yeah, I still haven't checked out Get Back. I thought that was going to be kind of my Christmas, you know, my only downtime. I can make it through a nine-hour talk, uh, but I still haven't got there yet. But if you're looking for a breezier uh, one from that same kind of time frame, uh, Questlove, uh, the drummer mm -hmm. for like mm -hmm. the, one of the late night shows, uh, directed um, Summer of Soul. Roots. <laughs> yes, the root of, the, of yeah. the yes, originally roots. Yeah. Um, yeah, directed Summer of Soul, and yeah, that's a bite size. Like if you like Woodstock, it's the funk soul version of Woodstock that has I basically gone undocumented that. until now. Mm. Um, and it's yeah, it's all on know. sixteen mil, just like the Beatles one. But there's so much energy in the camera movement, you can almost feel them like grooving out while they're trying to photograph this concert. Uh, it's it's just like. You know, if you say, I don't want to watch Pig because it might make me sad, then just go right from Pig to Summer of Soul and uh, it'll balance you right out. It is I just a big smile. Will. Yeah, I will. Okay, next up, let's talk about the best book of the year. Did you read any books? Did you have time for that? I panicked. I'm like, I didn't read a book this year. And then I remembered uh, at the start of the year, uh, it seems like everybody did it at the same time. Everyone had the same idea. Uh, to rewatch Mad Men. I saw it all over Twitter and everything like that. My wife mm -hmm. and I did that. Uh, and I, but this time for the rewatch, I bought uh, the Mad Men Carousel by Matt Zoller Seitz, who's my favorite film critic. And it's an episode by episode. It's kind of a recap, but mostly it's analysis of every episode. And it's incredibly thoughtful and well-written uh, and just adds, like I kind of considered the mid sections of the show kind of its weak stretch, but reading the book, seeing how much it was actually setting up and how many things it was very subtly paying off that I'd kind of missed on my first watch. Uh, it just made me appreciate the show a lot more. And I liked Mad Men to start with, you know, you have to like it to commit to another go around. But if you're thinking about doing it, then uh, yeah, definitely pick it up. The Mad Men Carousel uh, by Matt Solar Sites. It made it much more enjoyable. So is this the kind of thing that you like read it as you're watching, like you're sitting there? Yeah, that's what the... I did is every night, yeah. you know, watch an episode, an episode and a half, and then I'd sit there with my book and uh enjoy his insights i'm all about all those like companion pieces yeah no yeah, I, I, I love that yeah <laughs> yeah like as soon as i watch as soon as i finish any movie right away i like go to imdb for the trivia section and like try to find something and again that's why i was recommending um podcasts and, and youtube videos because i always want to see somebody whose opinion i trust give me more information about whatever it is i just watched so yeah I'm, I'm i used to do do you remember ebert's movie yearbooks did you I didn't have one of those. So it was every review he did for the whole year. So I would mm -hmm. just pick those up. And then as stuff rolled out on DVD, I knew I had the book to like right. read his analysis after I had just watched the film. And yeah, uh, that would be good. That, 
that made me a movie nerd. So right. uh, I, I recommend that as well. I wrote down three and I didn't really choose one yet. I know what I'm, okay, I'm going to, I know what I'm going to choose right now. So, uh, first of all, that, that Beatles rabbit hole I went down led me to listen to the audiobook of tune in, which is like the craziest Beatles project ever. He's writing the whole history of the Beatles from their formation, from the birth of all of the, uh, characters, all the members, <laughs> um, until, characters. uh, you know, till the end of the sixties, but in three parts, and he's taking 10 years to write each part. And each one is massive. I mean, 43 hours for an audiobook is crazy long. Like that's like th the longest game of Thrones uh, volume. Like it, it, each one is tr tr tremendous. So anyway, the, the only, the it's first one is out so far. Yeah, exactly. And the first one is out, uh, it's called Tune In, and it goes from the, their birth until the release of their first full album, their first LP. And so they do not get famous in the book. Like, they're only getting out of the club scene. And I was just like, I was so invested in it, and it made me think about the Beatles a lot. So anyway, that, that and Get Back make for a great pair if you have a lot of time on your hands. It's um, the Beatles' eight mile. It's right <laughs> before they got famous. But the, the one I'll choose, I think, is the easiest to recommend, and I think for the most people. It's called 4,000 Words, and it's, uh, the subtitle is Time Management for Mere Mortals. All right, later, Tyler here, inserting an edit correction. It's 4,000 weeks. I don't know why I said the wrong title. I've never had to correct anything in the podcast before because... Um, Usually I don't misspeak that badly. Anyway, 4,000 Weeks is my book of the year for 2021. What you think it's going to be about is, you know, time management tips. And the author has gone through all of those sort of like, you know, productivity guru, other books that are out there. And like, you know, how do you optimize the, the time that you spend working on things to be as efficient and productive as possible? And then it starts to break a lot of that down of like, well, what is the objective of being so efficient and productive? Because often it's like, if you just empty your inbox and you build up a reputation for being the person that responds the most quickly, you're just going to fill, refill your inbox more quickly. So, um, there's, there's sort of, it, it doesn't end up, it ends up only having certain amount of like productivity tips in the end, like real things that you can apply to your daily life, but much more gives you a framework of thinking about like, when is it? helpful and important to become more efficient? And when is it like, well, to some extent, you have to enjoy the actual thing that you're spending your time on, which I don't think we spend enough time thinking about. I certainly don't because there's so often it's like, wow, I just got so much done and I don't, mm -hmm. I don't feel, I don't feel great about it. I don't feel like I, you know, accomplished a lot. So kind of discovering that, like, in what ways can you look back on your life and feel like, you know, that was worth really investing my time on in an interesting way. And, um, this is worth becoming more efficient at and these other things, maybe I don't need to stress out about quite as much. Sounds great. Um, I need that after this Christmas. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. I think it, it, that's a thing. It's a good one for this year when we all feel stressed in various ways. Um, Final category. I left this one for last, but I don't even know if you're going to have anything. So maybe I should. The very anticlimactic. Oh, oh best I got video this. Game. Oh, you've got one. Okay, then go for it. Best video game of 2021. So I have had one game on my computer for years. Uh, it is Civilization Five. I bought a new iMac and I got Civilization Six because it'll run on it. Uh, it is the same. It's great. <laughs> they haven't really. Uh, I don't know if people have played these. It really falls into my well, people history have, obsession. But... I mean, it's like yeah. the classic turn-based game. Everybody kind of knows what it is, um, but it's a little cartoony. Uh, they changed a few of the mechanics a little bit, but mostly it's just uh, it's always a great 
reset button for me after like a really long day. I kind of like 1030 to 1130 is very good civilization time. Uh, nice. Yeah, it's it's very polished. There's tons of expansions for it. It'll probably serve me for the next six years. And <laughs> that means the next six times I come up on your show, I will have You'll no have new video games. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I got nothing now. It's going to be still Civilization yeah. Six. So I was very excited this time. Yeah, I um, just did that video recently of like my best game recommendations for the Mac. And unfortunately, there's not a lot to choose from. And I really thought about putting civilization there, but I'm like, I don't have time to play this enough to know if I can recommend it. Like there's just no way that I can get involved in uh, in a Civ game. So, uh, but I, your recommendation is well taken and I've always heard good things about it. So um, on my end, on my end, this was actually weirdly hard. Like I, I didn't have a lot of time to play games this year. So most of the year I didn't, but then towards the end, I, you know, like I said, it took it pretty easy during the holidays. So I played what I could. There was a real lack of AAA or doesn't happy AAA, but just titles that I really enjoyed that came out. Um, so I had dabbled with quite a few games in the year, but like not a lot really stuck. So I, I think I have to give it to Ratchet and Clank uh, for the PS5, which is an exclusive. Man, I just am making everything so hard to recommend this year because I know a lot of people can't even get PS5s. But it just had that feeling of like, oh, this is what next gen should feel like because it's real AAA. Like the graphics are amazing, the acting's amazing. Um, it's got, it really does have it all. Uh, but it's, I don't know. It's also like, I, I hesitate on it slightly cause it's still like a bit of a kid's game. Mechanics are pretty like straightforward and it just, it, it does just feel like you're playing a platform. Like there's nothing that is going to change the world in it. So it'll definitely not go down in the history books of like a best game ever, but uh, out of what came out this year, I just, I was, you know, I was really pleasantly surprised at how solid Ratchet and Clank was. So that's going to be my pick. And, um, and that's my anticlimactic end to the, the gear of the year, 2021. Uh, any final thoughts, Jordan? Uh, yeah, I want to know out of your M1 Mac video, uh, what is your top pick that you would recommend for a middle-aged dude without a lot of time on his hands? Oh yeah. Uh, that's tough. So, I mean, there are, okay. What I, what I, I've got two and none of them are, are new. Uh, one is grindstone, which is like a, you know, put the shapes in rows in. So the colors match type game, but with a, a lot more attention to the world. Like there's some universe building in it. There's a little bit of a story, sort of the characters are really well designed and it's just good. It's just like a good game that you can jump in and out of in three minutes, you know, like Perfect. you can, yeah, that, like, it is very helpful to have some of those around. Um, and the other one is, wait, uh, I'm forgetting the, oh, I yeah, could watch your Rep. episode again. I just want yeah, to yeah, get, yeah, yeah. I want to get a personalized we, we, recommendation cause I don't talk to you that. Often. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The other one is kingdom rush, uh, frontiers, which kingdom rush goes like way back. It is not a new game. This is just like the latest one. Cause it was included in Apple arcade, but basically I, I feel like anybody can play through all of the kingdom rushes because they're just their tower defense each round like each game probably takes maybe 10 15 minutes but it's just like a really good like passive you don't have to get super involved in it it's easy to jump in and out of um so yeah kingdom rush this was it's it's kind of like a funny year because there's some of the most amazing things like when we're talking about computers just like such incredible releases such good cameras but then i also was unexcited about a few categories here like i Mm. I didn't, I didn't feel great about the movie selection. Um, it was a little hard for me to choose, uh, like I say, the games, like there's, 
the, in the media world, there was less that I was really sure about. It was more an actual like tech innovation that I, I, I knew what I wanted to pick. Yeah, I think that's kind of – I'm in a similar place. Like there were a few major releases and stuff. But usually I'm like I just have to get through like the uh, the tech and camera stuff to get to like the books, movies, and podcast, which I could talk about for hours. But I feel like I just kind of, yeah, rolled with 2020, which is – really an extension of 2021 in its entirety, isn't it? Yeah. And we're also watching trailers of what's coming out. Like, oh, there are so many horrible trailers that I'm not looking forward to. So I, I, I don't know. It's a weird, it's a weird place for releases. But um, thanks for uh, walking through them with me, Jordan. I, uh, Always glad pleasure. to have you back. And of course, I'll have you back next year. And uh, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year.